0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: If you want to predict the future with accuracy, only one crystal ball will do. People, by the numbers, by looking at demographics, we can predict the future, from commercial to social to political to cultural trends. Counting people reveals what will trend in the next 10 years. That's because it's based on what people are really doing, from fertility to location to aging. Want to get ahead in your field? Pay attention to these seven trends. Women are on the move. Immigration on the rise. Housing, a shortage looms. Education, more students and different classrooms. Healthcare, an oncoming tidal wave. Cars, waning market demand. Trucking and shipping strained to the limits. The truth is, most people don't count people, even at the most basic levels, and have no idea that there are 327 million or so of us living in the United States as of now. There are countless questions to ask, and the answers, as well as the upsides, can be found in real numbers. As waves of generations are born and age, that's what determines our fortunes and our futures, with so much at stake, it pays to know, not guess. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Com. And to help us see the future by analyzing demographics, tonight's special guest is Kenneth W. Grumbach. Ken brings a background in marketing to his work as a demographic researcher and sought-after speaker on societal and business trends. He is the president of KGC Direct and the author of The Age Curve, a baby boomer with two generation-wide daughters. He lives in Haddam, Connecticut with his wife. His new book is Upside, profiting from the profound demographic shifts ahead. The website is kgcdirect.com, and Kenneth Grumbach joins us directly from Florida. Hello, Ken, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Good to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. Why did you become a a demographer, and do you have difficulty (laughs) explaining this to people when they ask you what you do for a living?
2: Yeah, People think I make maps. That that's cartographer. Right. No, I'm, a, I'm a demographer. Yeah. Best. The, I, I guess the best example I can give you was was um uh, some years ago when when my daughter, who is now 26, was 15, and she's sitting in the back seat of our Volvo wagon with her friend, and her, and her, I'm driving there in this, the back seat, and, and uh, the friend leans over and says, "What does your dad do?" And Libby said, um, "He's a demographer." And then there's always a pause. Yeah. And uh, her friend said a demographer is that kind of like an accountant or a uh, an economist which i thought was very astute yeah very close in a way and my daughter yeah well you know my, my daughter thought for a moment she said no no she said accountants and economists count money and stuff my dad counts people and people are more important than money and stuff that's what i do i count people that's a great,
1: a very astute way of, of explaining that. Why did yeah. you become a demographer? And do you have, again, why, why did you become one?
2: Well, we had, um, my wife and I had an advertising agency in Middletown, Connecticut, a regional advertising agency. It was a good size. We did about $40 million. And uh, one of our signature accounts was American Honda motorcycles. The uh, American Honda uh, it was it was a wonderful account. We had 140 dealers from the tip of Maine to Washington, D.C., to Pittsburgh, the whole Northeast region, and we would uh, run promotions for them and uh, advertise for them. The bikes would come in from Japan. We'd put them in the dealerships. We'd run millions of dollars worth of advertising, and they'd sell out to the bike, and they'd sell out at asking price until 1986. A funny thing happened. The bikes came in, we put them in the dealerships, we ran millions of dollars worth of advertising. And I get a call from American Honda in California and they said, Ken, did you run the ads? And I said, yeah, I ran, it, it kind of caught me off guard. And he said, well, you know, we don't have any traffic in the dealership, any, any, in a dealership, so any idea what's going on? And he said, Kawasaki, Suzuki, and Yamaha have exactly the same problem. He said, it's like Japanese bikes suddenly are not selling is there a reason for that and i said not one that i know of so we we beat our brains out they actually sent an elite contingent in from from japan to study our problem and uh, and they concluded that the price on the bikes was too high and so we reduced the price on our our best seller by a third if you could imagine that in the automotive industry that was unheard of ran ads all over radio and TV and and billboards and newspapers. And still, we couldn't generate any traffic. We beat our brains out from 1986 to 1992. The the, uh, the sales for Japanese motorcycles in the United States fell 80%. And we didn't know why. No idea. We shook hands with American Honda. We said, well, I guess people want bikes like Harley, you know, great big slugs of bikes that were slow and leaked oil, and instead of um, the the bikes that uh, the Japanese were making. Nineteen ninety six, I'm in my office. We sh- we parted with American Honda. I'm in my office and I'm reading a full page editorial in a blue newspaper here in, uh, uh, that in Connecticut uh, called the Hartford Current, and it was an indictment of um, Generation X. Now, Generation X was born 1965 to 1984. And the editorial was saying that Generation X was not involving themselves in the political process. It was Clinton versus Dole. It was October of the year. The, the, The whole political process was heating up like crazy. And it was saying Generation X was not voting, running for office, giving money or giving time at the level of the baby boomers. And they were a bunch of lazy, slacker, couch potatoes. And what was the United States going to come to if Generation X, born 1965 to 1984, was our future? And, and I, it, it, that just kind of caught me off guard because I had 40 people working for me, 30 of them were Gen Xers. And, and I didn't have any lazy people. So I, I called in our research uh, department, which is actually just one guy, And I said to him, uh, go find out what you can about Generation X. Statistical abstracts, census data, Bureau of Labor Statistics, CIA factbook, whatever you can find. There's lots and lots of data about generations and about populations. And he came back a week later with a report and said, Generation X will never perform at the level of the boomers. Boomers were born 1945 to 1964, 20 years earlier. And I said, so this generation really is lazy, and he said, "No, Ken. There's fewer of them because they didn't there?
1: reproduce as much as the baby boomers after the war. Nor, no, they,
2: they they had fewer. No, they had fewer parents. Fewer parents. Generation X, generation X parents are very important to populations. Right. Their parents were called the Silent Generation, and the Silent Generation was born 1925 to 1944. The the that was the Gen X parents." During that period, 1925 to 1944, you had the Great Depression and you had the war. There was no immigration during the war and immigration was virtually non-existent during the Depression. The baby boomer parents were born 1905 to 1924. There were 56 million of them born in the United States and there were 14 million people that came here from Europe. So it was a huge generation of 70 million the silent generation, the Gen X population's parents, was only about a little over 50 million. So th- the bottom line was this. I, I, what, what I said to my research guy, I said, so the reason that Generation X, born 65 to 84, is not performing at the level of the baby boomers born 45 to 64, is the fact that they're smaller? And he said, yeah, by 9 million people. Critical mass, they're 11% smaller. He said, peak to valley. The peak of the baby boomers were born in 1957. The valley of Gen X was born 1974, right after Roe versus Wade, and and he said it's about a 35 percent free fall. He said so wherever it goes, it wipes out markets. And I said I think we just discovered what happened to motorcycles. I said because that that had always been a, a dilemma for me. I, I couldn't figure out why all of a sudden Japanese bikes didn't sell, but we sold Japanese bikes to men. 16 to 24, that was it. At 25, they sold the cafe racer, they sold their their bike and bought a ring and got married and they didn't take the death wish into the marriage. It was as simple as that. We knew (laughs) that death wish. Uh, So you're saying the culprit was that? The culprit was the fact that the generation behind the huge baby boomer generation that was buying our bikes was tiny. They didn't have enough. They literally did not have enough critical mass to sustain the market and when uh, listen mel i have been in marketing my whole life you have you have a 5% drop in the size of your market you got a problem especially if you're 5% after tax profit of course if you have an 11% drop in the size of your market or worse yet peak to valley the peak of of the of the uh, gen uh of, of the baby boomers were born in 1957 to the trough of gen x it's like a 35% drop you vaporize markets, absolutely vaporize them. They they go away, and nobody knows why. So what we did is is, is we discovered what happened to motorcycles, and then our, our our next move was we said what else have they done? So we we tracked this weird generation called Gen X, born sixty five to eighty four, and we went back and looked at maternity wards, and they shut them down. They shut down maternity wards in cities consolidated. There were some hospitals that had them and some hospitals that didn't because you could, there weren't, there wasn't enough reason to have them. They shut down toys. They shut down 30% of the public schools. They shut down bicycles. They shut down motorcycles and we tracked them as they, as they grew up. They, they shut down Detroit. The they, Detroit could not figure out why they couldn't sell the same number of the highly profitable SUV v- vehicles to this new generation as they did to the boomers but nobody bothered to count them and in 2008 baby boomers all of a sudden tried to uh, get the equity out of their homes by and, and retire it was the whole was the beginning of baby boomer retirement by selling their homes and they they tried to sell them to a generation that wasn't big enough to buy them and that caused the housing crisis the real estate bubble huh? you know, uh, absolutely so it, it it just keeps on going now once we made that discovery, now we just apply that to um, you give me an industry, you give me a consumer product, you, you and and I'll tell you why and how it's going to fare based on the demographic size of its market, and it's not that hard.
1: This is so fascinating because a lot of people probably wouldn't even think. Of some of the aspects you're mentioning it, but again, I'm a bit confused. If the Gen Xers were buying, say, Harleys and and perhaps some other types of bikes, but it was spe- specifically Honda. What about Kawasaki and the rest of them? Was it only a Japanese motorcycle issue, or was it a a a general wide situation for all motorcycles?
2: No, it was the, what the the demo the customer for a Harley. Is much older than the customer for a Japanese bike, for Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, and Yamaha.
1: More expensive too, of the, course.
2: The Japanese, yeah, the Japanese bikes sold to men sixteen to twenty-four. Period. The Harleys uh, are like thirty to sixty. So it when when the the baby boomers moved on out out of the demo for Japanese bikes, then Harley Davidson couldn't make bikes fast enough.
1: Because they had a different demographic. But what about the rest of the Japanese bikes? Did they also suffer the same they fate all, of Honda?
2: They all failed. You know, they all they, did. They, they all failed, and, and it was 100% failure. It was essentially all the dealerships failed. The only dealerships that made it were the ones that were selling cars or um, outboard motors or lawnmowers.
1: When I was reading it, your book, of course, it, I, when I was reading your yeah. book, I, I, it's not that I took offense, but when I read that part, that said, uh, perhaps Gen Xers are lazy and this. I'm a Gen Xer, it's 1967. So I know I'm not lazy. <laughs> I know my peers were probably some of the hardest working people that I ever worked with. So obviously yeah. something was wrong in this culprit that you're mentioning makes so much sense. So baby boomers, what's going to happen with them once they retire in the next few years? Four million a year. Are they going to open up new jobs? The unemployment rate will go down. What's going to happen?
2: Well, the the... It's kind of an interesting phenomena because the, the baby boomers, because of the housing crisis in 2008, and in 2008, we discovered that we had too many houses. That was the bottom line. We had too many. And, and uh, baby boomers could not retire. So baby boomers did not leave the labor force. They stayed in the labor force much later than other generations, uh, in, uh, in a lot of cases beyond the age of 65. What that did is it didn't allow Generation Y to enter the labor force. Now, Generation Y was born 1985 to 2004. Millennials is what they're called. And it's the largest generation ever born in the United States. There's about, a, a good guess would be about 88 million of them. So there's, there's, there's almost 10 million more than, than their baby boomer parents. Generation Y lived with their parents. They lived in, in it was almost a, a metaphor. They would live in the in the the basement with all the trophies that they didn't deserve, and but once the baby boomers started leaving the labor force, they welcomed Generation Y into the labor force, and now everything is changing. There's there's all new categories that are opening up for in in commerce, uh, and not the least of which, and this is the biggest one, when when Generation Y and they're only now starting to move out. They are currently 15 years old to 34 years old. So the very leading edge of them are are getting married, and they are starting households. In a lot of cases, uh, that they're not buying; they're simply renting. You can see a lot of that in Texas and California. It's very interesting. In fact, we, we're we're doing some research for for um, a very very large real estate company now. Uh, as to where Generation Y is going to live. But Generation Y is moving out, getting married, and moving out of their parents' homes. The problem is we are 25 million housing units short of our needs, which means that uh, construction of, of uh, housing units, and, and that includes freestanding houses, condos, anything, anything that someone would live in is will spike and probably not look back for the next 15 years.
1: Let me ask you this about Gen, Gen Y, not buying yeah, Gen h- h- homes. Is it because real estate is too overpriced or is it because they have student loans?
2: Well, the, the student loan problem, which is, you know, they have about a trillion and a, a trillion, 500 billion in student loans. That, wow. that is an issue. Um, is it going to stop this process? No, it's not. The, the, um, uh, Generation Y is going to have to live somewhere. They will figure it out. Either they're going to live in a freestanding home that they will buy or they will rent. Uh, who knows? But they're they're moving out of their parents' basements.
1: I was going to say basement. So yeah. when it comes to Gen, a, Gen Y, again, I see a lot of kids that uh, – I remember in the 90s when I was, uh, uh, you know – a port Mobility, yuppie corporate world. I could afford an apartment, a two bedroom apartment for myself in California. Try that now in San Francisco, and see if you can do that. Especially with these kids that are have a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars sometimes when they come, they go with further graduate degrees, and they go out and they can't find a job that pays for even covering the student loans. How can is the real estate market going to crash again in the future because? Of this,
2: in in my opinion, and and, and based on our our data, no, no, I think that the the kids are going to find a way, and and I know that the debt is high, but the debt if when you look at the trillion five hundred billion dollars that is outstanding in student loan debt, a lot of that was precipitated by uh, for profit colleges, and it uh, influenced uh, minorities. Uh, I really don't think that it's 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 going to um, influence the mainstream uh, uh, Gen Y millennial kids and, and here's the reason and, and it's it's the amount of money that their parents have their parent you know if you want to to buy all the stock in the stock market right now buy all of it you'd probably have to come up with about 20 uh, trillion dollars it might be a little bit more than that Uh Boomers right now own the stock market, and boomers also have $12 trillion in the bank. Boomers have money. So when you have parents with money, for the most part, big picture, macro, forest, not trees, uh, we're fine. I I think their parents are going to help them get started.
1: So what you're saying is that as these baby boomers retire, maybe pass away, eventually these kids will inherit a lot of trust from babies. They're going to inherit a lot.
2: They're going to inherit a ton. (laughs) Yeah, no problem whatsoever.
1: The question is, can we equate what's going to happen with this generation by receiving this amount of money in the future to the cornucopia kids? I mean, you have these first, uh, first generation Americans, for example. They work very hard. They come here. They do the best they can. And then their children... All of a sudden, do not understand that. And you see where I'm coming from. A lot of these children with money that's given to them, are they going to just waste that money away? And then 10, 20 years down the road, we're going to see the opposite picture.
2: No, my opinion, though, because that's what they said about the baby boomers and the baby boomers. The baby boomers, for the most part, were not immigrants at all. And a lot of baby boomers had... um, immigrant parents who came here and worked hard and, and lived below their means the right. baby boomers for the most part blew their money but but now they made it back again no i think we're going to be fine and and i think the when when you look at the uh, the ethics of generation y versus the, the ethics of the sex drugs and rock and roll generation the boomers is so much better they're they're just i think we have produced in generation y and, and i i get you know i get a lot of pushback on this I think we've produced the best generation of kids that the nation has ever seen. They're 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 not bigots. They're they're uh, they're they're very concerned about the, the environment. They they're they're certainly they've been taught their entire lives not to be mean people, not to only think about themselves. I think we're gonna see in in the United States now, And keep keep in mind, and for the most part, I'm talking about the United States. I mean, we could talk about all the other continents and countries if you like. Of course. But, but we're we're in good shape here. We're in very good shape.
1: And when it comes to to capitalism, they're conscious capitalists. I think do you think that the market, the stock market will have to adapt itself in the future when these well today's generation Y they're going to start investing their money in companies that are truly focusing on what's sustainable for the planet for society and so on?
2: Correct. Well, Here's, and I, I, you know, I speak about 50 times a year and I speak to tens of thousands of people and I'm, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm blessed in that, that I'm able to do that. But I tell folks, I said, there are no more secrets. There are no more secrets. I said, if you, uh, if you have a company that has been getting away with something environmentally or ethically, this new generation, as they enter the labor force, will know that. And so it's they're gonna they're gonna put everyone to the test and hold everyone's feet to the fire. I think we're in good shape, and I think that this this new generation is just going to be so much better. There are certain the, the ethnicity of our country is about thirty seven percent minority. Most of the audiences I I talk to are you know I jokingly call them uh, pale, male, and stale. I said, guys, you you've, you you we, we have to have some African-Americans here, we have to have Asians here, we have to have uh, Latinos here, we have to have women in this audience, or you are behind the times. And this new generation, Generation Y, is in favor of all of that diversity.
1: Well, of course, this is a very sensitive topic these days, the immigration. What do you think this landscape is is looking at? I mean, with this whole build the wall, make it legal... Do you think that we should just open borders to, in order to? Because, as you said, fertility rates are down in many places around the world. And this, I remember living in Asia in the 90s and in Singapore. And at the time, they had a limit, just like China did, on how many children people could have. And it came to a point where their, their birth rate was negative. So, what did they do? The government stepped in and said, We're going to give free cruises, free vacations to, to singles. And after a couple of years, boom, the fertility rate went up again. Do you think this is going to happen here and in other places around the world in order to curtail this drop in birth rates? Well,
2: unfortunately, and, and I, I like your story, but um, that wouldn't fix anything. The the what, what's going to happen? Let's let's back up to your original question, and that would be immigration here in the United States. Yes, if. I'll give you some numbers just to kind of put it in perspective. About 70 million people in the United States have some significant German descent. About 60 million people have some Latino descent. And that's that's been relatively, that's been recent. About 40 million uh, people have some Irish descent. We are a nation of immigrants. Immigration is what's made us strong. If it wasn't for you know, Latinos, take a take a bad rap. You know, and I always ask my audience, how many how many Latinos do I have here? And this last, I, I just spoke to, I'm trying to think of who it was, but it was it was a, a fairly large audience. It was a very very uh, esoteric that uh, uh, they were into uh, people who prevented corrosion on bridges and uh, big ships. But, but it was a, mostly a white audience. So my argument with them was, why aren't there more people here of color? I said, <laughs> do you realize that if without the Latinos in our country, uh, we had, a, we had a, a, a year of record birth in 1957 where we had 4,300,000 babies born in the United States. And it was the largest birth year for 51 years until 2007 when we had 4,316,000 babies born in one year, 25% of which were Latinos. Without Latinos to fill in the deficit in our population created by Generation X, we simply would not have enough taxpayers uh, consumers or labor to run our country, and we would not have a country by 2050. It would be impossible. So where do I stand on, on immigration? We're a nation of immigrants. I, I, you know, If you looked at the numbers, there are more Latinos leaving the United States and going back to Mexico, Central and South America than coming in. I think if Trump builds that wall, he's going to trap them in.
1: Again, this is a very sensitive topic to many. Yeah. As you said, if the fertility rate is lower and you project by demographics, look into the next ten, twenty years, that you're gonna have a negative birth rate, you know that your society is going down. And you're gonna you're not gonna have, as you said, enough taxpayers to to finance the elderly, social security and all those things that people are gonna need in their latter part of their lives, and you need to be able to build it up. But, you know, the the sensitive part is why can't we just raise our quotas instead of just opening the borders to everybody?
2: I mean, oh, no, I am am a total fan of legal immigration. That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. You know, I guess you could make a case for the fact that there are about 10 million illegal immigrants in the United States right now, 10 million, which would put our population at somewhere around, you know, uh, 330 million. Uh, but we, if we just dealt with the illegal immigration, and, and I don't think a wall is going to solve that, and, but that's my opinion, and I don't, don't want to go there. Sure. But, and, uh, I think we can certainly control our population. Uh, and that's important. But right now, boy, I, I got to tell you, I've been speaking to agriculture, and, and I've been speaking to everybody in, in, from Michigan Apple to uh, produce producers, um, even loggers up in Oregon. They need the labor force. I get that. Desperately, desperately need labor force, and and uh, so, it, God bless the Latinos. I tell folks. I said, I said, y- you want a country in fifty years? I said, go find a Latino, kiss them on the lips, and thank him for coming <laughs> because without them, we don't have a
1: country. But you see, I see the point. If you you're working or you logging, know, or what have you, you need five 500- hundred people for the next three months for for your season and so on. If you put an an ad in the paper, you probably won't get anybody. But why can't you go to the federal government and say, listen, I need for the next three months or six months, I need 1,000 workers. Why not do it legally? And many times they go and they're told, sorry, they have to have a PhD. They have to work in Silicon Valley. You need to do what you have to do. And they, in my opinion... This is one of the magnets. Wh- why we have illegal immigration? Because those businesses that require the labor are not allowed to get them.
2: That's a tragedy right now. There's and, and there's even more to it than that. Uh, I'll give you an interesting statistic. And this and this is I would encourage your listeners to buy a book written by a friend of mine. I mean, I want them to buy my book, which is called Upside: Profiting from the Profound Demographic. Buy yours first. Ahead. Yeah. What's that? I'm saying buy yours first. Buy mine first, yeah. It's you know I I still uh, I still have student loan debt from um, from uh, um, my daughter who who just became a nurse. <laughs> Good <laughs> for much. her. Hey, but um, Doctor Nicholas Eberstadt, my friend Nick Eberstadt, wrote a book called uh, "Men Without Work." Now this is going to blow your mind, and I hope this is okay just to to deviate here. Is sure, that okay? of course. Yeah. Okay. He wrote a book called Men Without Work. And, and it, uh, Nick uh, works for the uh, National Enterprise Institute. He is a PhD from Harvard and has access to the best data on the planet. And he said, there, between the ages of 25 and 55 in the United States, there are 20 million men who do not work. And they do not work uh, because they can't work and they can't work because they're felons. And once you have a felony, especially uh, a, a dangerous felony, a violent felony, you pretty much have eliminated your chances of working in the United States because no one can bond you or insure you. Now we're, we're trying to work on that. I'm actually part of a, of a group that is trying to do something about that. But uh, 20 million men, 20 million men. Do you know how valuable that labor force is? If those folks and, and, and those men got a second chance, would be awesome. Yeah, and we're we're trying to work on that now. Let me give you another t- statistic. In jail right now, we have about two million men. Forget about women for a minute. Who commits crime in the, in the United States? Men. How old are they? They're roughly fifteen to thirty years old. That's about seventy. 75% of the criminals. 1 million of them are African-Americans. 500,000 of them are Latinos and 500,000 of them are whites. What's the net here? Well, we have recidivism. What we have is like guys get out of jail, go back on the street. They can't work. They sell drugs. They get arrested. They go back in jail. And it's just like it's endless. It's like a revolving door. African-American culture in the United States right now is 40 million people. Now, take away the women. You have 20 million men. Take away 5 million elderly or older men and 5 million, uh, you know, very young men. And you have about 10 million African-American men between the ages of 25 and 55. Those men, for the most part, right now, are felons and can't be employed. We have wiped out a culture with our uh, war on drugs. Wiped out a culture. We've we've turned the culture into a a matriarchal culture, and it is just tragic. It really is. Now that might be too heavy duty for your listeners, but those are facts.
1: No, it's not. It's not heavy duty at all. We've had we did an interview years ago with a former sheriff from New York, New York City, twenty some year old, you know, years in the force. And he's totally, for example, totally, totally against the war on drugs. It has not worked. They spend most of their time chasing pot smokers. It absolutely does not work. And he's in favor of legalizing not only marijuana, but all drugs, and have the government spend that money into education and prevention. Or at least, if you're not going to legalize it, decriminalize it. And you would see the prison industrial complex fail. I think the issue, and I don't mean to deviate from our topic here, but I think this is important, is the prison industrial complex. Ever since it was privatized in the 1990s, you saw, and you're you a, a people numbers person. You should have seen that spike go up almost vertically when the prison became privatized. And of course, they don't want the people to go out and work. They want them back. They want them to go back and sell drugs so they can come back to jail where they're making profits for their shareholders.
2: How about that? Hey, you want another statistic? Please. Of, of, the, of the total of the 20 million men who are felons between the ages of 25 and 55, how many of them went to court and had a trial? What percentage? I have no idea. 3%. Wow. Yeah. It, we. I, I don't know what we were thinking. I really don't. Now, I, now is, is the legalization of marijuana going to be effective in changing this? I don't know. I really don't. So what else you want to talk about? I, I,
1: I hope <laughs> well, we're just, it's okay. If it's okay with you, we can, although this is indirectly correlated to the topic at hand, but, you know, we can open so many other doors. What is causing Generation Buy, again, not to buy houses? I'm a little bit unclear about that. Is it, again, the lack of, of, of income because they're committed to, and by the way, Mentioning student loans, this infuriates me because I'm of the opinion that the government should get out, get out of guaranteeing the loans because you have these private institutions and even public institutions that see, oh, so Ken and Mel are going to go to college, uh, do their undergrad or their graduate degree. We'll continue raising the tuition because we know at the end of the day, Uncle Sam will come and guarantee it. Do you see that as a reason why Tuition and loans keep going up.
2: Well, I watched President Obama uh, take on the private institutions that were raping the minorities with tuition and then getting government guaranteed loans. I just wish there was more done to to deal with that. Uh, I, I don't know. I I think I think it's it's one of the major tragedies here in the United States to have a trillion five hundred billion dollars. In student loan. Incidentally, that's exactly, you, you know, one of the, the numbers that we deal with in, in um, economics and, and demographics is gross domestic product. Now, the gross domestic product of the United States is about 20 trillion, and that represents the value of any goods and services that are produced here in the United States. The gross domestic product of Russia is 1 trillion 500 billion. It's, it's, it's like, you know, one twentieth of our GDP. And it's ironic that the GDP of Russia and our student loan debt are identical. I mean, not that there's any correlation there, but it puts it in perspective.
1: I hear two bubbles are going to burst. The student loan bubble, even though that's almost like, a, it's almost impossible because you cannot file bankruptcy, uh, you cannot get out of that, basically. But the car loan industry, is a, I don't know exactly how much it has right now. And allegedly, that's another bubble waiting to to burst. Do you agree with that?
2: Uh, no. I, I I know that, it, listen, I, you're talking to somebody who was in the car industry. It used to be that if you had a 36-month loan, that was big. And then it went to 48, and then it just kept on going, and then it was 60, and then it was 72 I don't, I don't know what kind of terms they give on cars now, but, uh, and, and I would imagine that a lot of young people have huge car loans, but I, I don't, I I don't, I don't think that's an issue here, but I, I don't think that you're going to see a bubble burst that's going to cause any serious problems here in the United States because of the health of the housing industry. Now in 2008 we discovered that we did that we had too many houses. In 2019 the exact reciprocal of that we don't have enough. So I believe that that the housing is going to lift the economy. That young people starting households whether they own them or rent them are still buying dish dis- detergents, furniture and mops. And all of that is going to drive the economy. And I think we're going to be fine. And I think once this young generation is welcomed into the labor force and is paid enough to live, uh, we're, we're going to be fine. We have a problem in the, in, you know, I have a, I have a home here in Florida, which is where I am now, South Florida. And I also have a home in Connecticut. And one of the, the problems that Connecticut has is it's actually losing population. But we also have some monster employers. An electric boat, a general dynamics, Pratt and Whitney, Sikorsky, and they're actually having problems recruiting people from all over the United States. And they're going to have to pay them, these young Gen Y uh, highly educated employees, to come and live in Connecticut. And will they? Yes, they will. And will they come? Yes they will. So I think we're fine.
1: Do you think Amazon is going to move to Florida after New York said bye bye?
2: I, I don't want them down here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not nuts about Amazon.
1: Let me ask you this, the census. I've always found it strange that if numbers and demographics are so important, in the USA, the government census every 10 years. Why so long? And do we have an innate inability to count people? Don't we have technology at our disposal that could assist more efficiently today to count how many people are on this soil?
2: boy you just touched a sensitive subject for me and, and my researchers we we don't get it we don't get why we can't do that and we because the by the time we we count you know every, every 10 years and and of course there are other counts that are done in between but um, the, the information has changed so much that we're almost getting the information way too late yeah so i agree with you you know we we should we should be doing We should have the technology to do and produce a census every single year. Now, there are probably some people from the census right now are probably sticking pins in a doll that looks like me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: that's why I'm asking you, because 10 years to me sounds, it's like kids that go to college. Now, what is it? It, it, The average, Mm -hmm. is it five years now for an undergraduate degree when it used to be four when I went to college? But a lot of the kids go to college thinking of, a job that's available today, as opposed to talking to somebody like you who can assist them in saying, listen, this is what's going to be in demand in the next five to 10 years. Why don't you focus on the, these bachelor degrees or, or, or e degrees so that you can have a job that's going to be able to support you? Well,
2: how, how about that now? You know, I mean, what, what you're talking about here is common sense. And that is that the world of work is changing so fast. Who knows? Well, and, and I know you 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 can, in in a lot of ways, predict. But uh, who knows what the professions are going to be going forward? And and if, man, if you're not paying any attention to that, you're crazy. So I would agree with you that these kids need to be uh, look at education for the jobs that are going to exist, not the ones that exist now.
1: I remember reading Megatrends, John Nesbitt's books in the '80s, and then Faith Popcorn's. Parkour Report in the 90s. So I'm fascinated by the stuff that you deal with. And I'm always trying to look ahead. I know for a fact that AI is here to stay. I know for a fact that the retail industry is suffering. When you go to malls, when you see them, these stores closing, and people ask me all the time, so what's going to happen with the real estate? Well, it's already happening. You see malls, a third is gone. They're building apartment complexes right there. And eventually that's what you'll see. Do you see the retail industry morphing into real estate? I mean, residential.
2: It's morphing into something. It it better. Um, you know, it, it, the irony is right now uh, online retail is only about ten or fifteen percent of the market. Right. But it's it's closing in very quickly, and I think you're going to see the existing real estate that once served only retail is going to have to come up with some, another way to exist we'll see.
1: What about AI? We get these towns that are raising their minimum wage to $15 an hour. And believe me, I I want people to have a decent living. But in my opinion, and this is just personal, minimum wage should, should not be a place for you to stay for the rest of your life. I remember working at a grocery store at $3 an hour in the 80s. And I knew I needed to get out of there, just get the 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 knowledge to jump to the next level. And I never never left the job unless I had another one to go to. Same thing going to college. I had to work full-time uh, during the day and uh, or at night and then go uh, and uh, study during the day or vice versa. A lot of these kids today, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't want to work. They say no, because that's not going to me, give me enough time to finish my bachelor's degree. Where do you see all this ha- going?
2: Well, where I see it all going is the same place that it's always gone, and that is people grow up and 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 I don't, I don't mean to be so simplistic mel but uh, you know I'm I'm a boomer I was you know right in the center of the boomer generation and they they said you know what is the world going to become if, if sex drugs and rock and roll becomes the credo for uh, our market economy well it didn't what happened is the boomers grew up and became republicans it's going the, the kids that you're talking about that uh, are are making bad decisions right now are all going to grow up they're all for the most part they're going to get married they're going to have children and then they're going to have to feed the kids and it, it's amazing how when you have to eat your perspective changes and so when when i look at the the uh, populations in general and, and uh, generations in specific. And I hear that a particular generation is doing something that no one else has ever done and it's wrong. I'll say just hang around for a little while because it's going to grow up and they're going to be fine.
1: I agree with you that they mature and they become responsible yeah. and all that. But at the same time, in your generation, you had a time when one household could work and you still could support a family right now it's very difficult in my opinion for for one person to go out there and make a decent living you know and this is when i get people from the left on the side attacking me all the time because i sound that i could be from either or i'm just a fair person and i see it like it is inflation the the the, the dollars you know has lost value i'm concerned about this generation not being able to support themselves and this is going to people like me who retire in the next 20 years what's going to happen with us when you have a generation that cannot even support themselves.
2: Well, in general terms, I'm 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 not entirely sure what your question is, but let me, let me just approach it from a different side. Bernie Sanders, pretty good guy, isn't he? I mean, I like him. Nice, nice Jewish kid. He's um, he maintains in part what you just said, and that is that our system is broken and that we are a nation of halves and have nots. We don't have any people in the middle called the middle class, and that middle class has shrunk. And the system is broken, and we need to go to a more, I think he calls it a democratic socialism. I'm not sure what that means. Do you know, his principal argument is that there is no middle class has shrunk, and and the number uh, statistically is that it's 12, middle class is 12% smaller than it was 15, 20 years ago. I mean, there's, and it it has to do with uh, how much you make relative to the national average. I mean, some kind of a formula that they use. Here's the thing. Middle class and middle age male occupy the same space. And middle age right now is occupied by Generation X. And based on our discussion earlier, what do we know about Generation X? It's smaller than the generation in front of it. And it's smaller than the generation behind it. You know how much smaller than the boomers? About 12%. So we have middle age is down by about 12%. And middle class that occupies exactly the same space is down by 12%. Do you think they have something to do with each other? And do you think our system is still working, but we have a minor hiccup in our demography that will self-correct? Because that's what we believe.
1: But I'm not that concerned about it my generation. And the reason why I say that is because I know that we're 25% of the population in the US, but we make 31% of the the total income in the United States. I'm concerned about these new kids that are leaving college to get into the workplace. I see them. I see them. They have three, four people living in an apartment because they cannot afford... uh, Real estate has gone up, especially in California. That's why you get a lot of exodus there, Going so anyway, I don't want to. T- <laughs> I don't want to whine too much about them. I just want to see that we le- leave a better place for them to be able to have a, a fertile soil for their for them to thrive.
2: And you, we and we will, because I believe that the if you looked at the United States, so the United States is broken down by the census into the Northeast, the Midwest, the West, and the South. What's going on? That the the Northeast is essentially stagnant. Uh, actually losing population. The Midwest is stagnant, not losing much, not gaining anything. The West is gaining like crazy, mostly immigrants, Latinos. The South, and I'm talking about south from Texas over to Florida and up to Virginia and everything in between is absolutely flourishing. And I think and that's and that's where you're going to see Tons and tons and tons of Generation Y young people who you're concerned about uh, find their way.
1: Is it because, like water, water finds a place? Is it because those places have a lower cost of living and there it's a magnet for these children that cannot afford housing elsewhere?
2: Yeah. What, yeah, think about it. You, you could buy a 6,000 square foot house in Texas for a couple hundred grand. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, you, but get you a, have to live in Texas. You get a <laughs> lot of property taxes there because you don't have the state income. But yeah,
2: yeah, it's a well, and so um, it, it's like populations breed populations. What if you were going to uh, manufacture something today? Would you go to Detroit? Would would you go to Chicago, or would you go to Texas? You would go to Texas. Why? Because there is a huge population of young people there. You have all the labor you need. It's very friendly, and and geographically, it's huge. So it's very attractive. And so what we're seeing is the Generation Y kids are leaving um, California. They're leaving New England, leaving the Midwest, and we're seeing a ton of them go south and a a lion's share of them going to Texas.
1: So what you're saying, everything will be like water again, evened out.
2: It's yeah, water is very lazy, and and so are people. You just go to the to the place with the least resistance. And Texas right now is Texas is wonderful. I spend a lot of time in Texas. I spend um, I speak a lot in Texas. I don't know why, but I do. Um, it's it's a it's a neat state. It's a fun state.
1: What about artificial intelligence when it comes to all of this?
2: Well, I think AI, AI certainly is going to provide us with uh, some solutions to our our labor needs. But I don't think it's going to supplant labor. Uh, is that your question?
1: Well, yes. I remember in the, in the 80s when I finally got my first corporate job, a year or two before I started, there were 75 people in that office. And when I came in, there were only about 17 because the personal computer completely change the landscape. However, those people who, quote-unquote, lost their jobs, only lost their jobs temporarily. They readapt it. They relearn new skills. Yeah. Okay. And boom. Do you think the same thing will happen with AI, or is this something different?
2: I think it's something different. I think I think AI is going to make our lives easier, but I think there are going to be plenty of jobs. I, I I don't think we're going to ever be replaced by robots. I don't think we're ever going to be replaced by artificial intelligence. I think it's going to make our lives easier. I think it's going to make us more productive, but it's certainly not going to supplant.
1: Well, ponder we'll, this for a moment, Ken. And people, some people, my friends who are attorneys and, and doctors laugh at me when I say this. But a doctor goes to school for how many years? Over a decade. And they have all this knowledge. What if a computer, and we have the computers today, they can have all that knowledge. And all we need to do, okay, we do some testing on mail or in Ken, put it in the computer, and the computer immediately gives you the optimal results and which medication or which treatment to take. Now go to an attorney. They cannot remember or memorize all the legal code and they have paralegals and all that. What if you have a computer? You enter the case they're working on and the computer, boom, gives you more or less, not like a verdict, but more or less what the course of action would be. In summary, do you see attorneys and doctors losing jobs to AI in the future?
2: You know, I, I, I see them becoming much more efficient. I I would hope that technology is going to improve my quality of life. Do I see us replacing them? No, I don't. I I think we have I think when, when we finally come to terms with the US need for healthcare, and especially with the fact that you know 70 75 years old is a magic number for healthcare. The baby boomers right now the largest generation ever to retire is 55 to 74. So I'm down here in Florida and I tell the folks here in Florida, I said, you have no idea what's headed your way. I said, you're going to have such a volume of folks needing advanced health care. Boy, I hope that AI plays into this. And I hope that uh, uh, we can, uh, you know, have efficient uh, diagnostic uh, computers. I, I hope we. I hope so because we're going to need them. <laughs> we're still going to need docs. We're gonna still. We're certainly still going to need lawyers.
1: How's Florida going to look? I grew up in Florida and I go to Florida all the time. How's Florida going to look in the next twenty years? Because it's obviously for obvious reasons, it's a magnet for retirees.
2: Yeah, it's. I. I. Uh, I I'll tell you a story. I was speaking in Boca Raton. This was like um, I think it was like two thousand eleven. And things were pretty bleak. Uh, my, my, my flight was late. I, I hopped in a car. I got to the, you know, my keynote, they mic'd me up and I went up on stage and I'm speaking to 500 municipal employees. This is everyone from police to people at work in town halls, uh, you know, city managers, everybody. And, uh, One thing I noticed when I when I was up there speaking, doing my slide presentation, that no one was listening, and and finally I stopped and I said, "What's with you guys?" I said, "Do I have to do CPR on this audience?" What's (laughs) up? And the um, somebody up front said, "Didn't you didn't you hear the Economist?" And I said, "No, I just got here. I just I walked in the door. They put a mic on me. I ran up on stage. And so what did the Economist say?" He said, "The Economist says that Florida, uh, that tourism is down in Florida." And that if it continues at this level, uh, tourists aren't going to come here anymore. And he said, and he said the the amount of the number of retirees is way off too. And the economist says that if that continues at that level, uh, we're not going to need the services of all the people in this room. So the people in this room all think they're going to get laid off. So I said, he said what? And I said, so I screamed out at the group. I said, up here, up here, everybody, be quiet. Stop talking. I have something I want to tell you. And so I get the room to be quiet. And I said, population of Florida. And the population of Florida at that time was about 19 million. It's now it's 22 or 23. And I said, the population of Florida is around 20 million right now. And I said, in 10 or 15 years, the population of Florida will be 30 million. It could even be 35 million. I said, you don't have enough roads. You don't have enough houses. You don't have enough bridges. You don't have enough police. You don't have enough storefronts. You don't have enough malls. You don't have enough of anything. They're going to have to hire this this room of municipal employees all over again. Well, they elected me mayor of Boca Raton. They carried me out on their shoulders. (laughs) They deputized you. My point is, yeah, I said – You cannot, you cannot, cannot, cannot project the present infinitely into the future. You have to look at the facts. Is Florida a popular place to retire? There's no better. There really isn't. There is no better. It's wonderful down here. I I thoroughly enjoy it. The population of Florida is, one, is going to increase dramatically, not only because the boomers are going to come here and retire, But because all the support people necessary to meet the needs of the boomers are going to have to come here and live. So you're going to have affordable houses on the interior properties and on the the waterfront properties are going to be populated by baby boomers. But Florida's population is going to spike and not look back for 20, 30 years. And by that time, I'm dead and I don't care.
1: Right, right. I love Boca Raton, by the way. If you could only get rid of the yeah. hurricanes, it would be the perfect place, Florida.
2: Oh yeah, Boca, but, but I loved it. I, I just loved the old building. I loved everything about. I love Florida. I really. I love Naples. I I, I, I live just south of Naples. Fort Myers. Yeah. I live in Bonita Springs. Uh, I haven't found a part of Florida that, that I don't like yet.
1: Sarasota, all that. The only thing, because now I live in the mountains here, where it's mountains in Arizona, and it's hot, but I I do miss being close to the ocean. The only thing is the flat flat land. That's the only thing that I, once you live in a place that has mountains around you, that. but aside from that, Florida is just a great place. But we have to take a one and only break. When we come back, folks, we are going to dissect the seven top trends that will shape the coming decade so, you don't want to miss that. Ken, how can people learn more about your work? Buy your the new book and
2: your other books too. Yeah, just go on my website, which is kgcdirect.com and just follow the prompts.
1: And the title of the new book is Upside Profiting from the Profound Demographic Shifts Ahead. It took me two to...
2: years to write that. Please buy it.
1: Please. And uh, folks, don't go anywhere. Malfabric is with Kenneth. Come back. We'll be right back.
2: Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for
0: MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.